We're going to begin the um, segment tonight, the show tonight, with Laura O. Foster. Great. I found out we had some uh, old history back in the Aurora Naperville area, but she's written these great walking books about um, Portland, Oregon. And we're going to talk about Beverly Cleary. This is the second edition, Laura, Walking with Ramona, Exploring Beverly Cleary's Portland. How are you doing tonight? I'm good, Dave. Good to talk to you. And I have to tell you, I'm really proud to be on WGN because it was the radio station of my childhood in Illinois. My mom had it on all the time, listening to Wally Phillips. Aww. And the Cub games, and yeah. so it's kind of fun. And now you're, you now you're, yeah, now you're on with me. Isn't that something? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, um, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Naperville and Columbus, Ohio, and uh, Beverly Cleary's books, Henry Huggins. They were all characters of, of elementary school for me, and, and pre- I don't know if it was preschool, elementary school. But tell the listeners who was Beverly Cleary. Cleary who is Beverly Cleary? We were talking. She's 102 years old now. 102, still alive. <laughs> She's 102, yeah, she's going to have her birthday in April, and every April is kind of a celebration in public schools around the country. Um, but she was one, she was a descendant of one of the first uh, groups of people to cross the plains in Conto, Oregon in 1843, so she was super proud of her pioneer heritage. And that kind of influenced her life. She lived on this, um, in this 1860 uh, vintage home in uh, the Willamette Valley in Oregon, a real fertile valley. And that was the first six years of her life, and she had full range over this 80-acre property. She was a free-range kid back before there was even such a name. And it really kind of influenced her because she had um, a lot of great memories of it. But in the 20s, her dad and mom, she was an only child, in the 20s, um, her parents had to move to Portland because um, farm prices uh, had just kind of collapsed. He couldn't make money. So he took a job in Portland, and she, um, from age 6 to 18, lived in Portland in the very same neighborhood that I settled in when I lived here, and I didn't even know it at the time. I, um, it was just kind of off my radar as a young adult. Um, but I had read Beverly Cleary in Aurora in uh, third grade. I'd read Ramona the Pest. And so um, back then I had no concept of Oregon, and I didn't know – it didn't, it didn't um, make any impression on me other than the fact that I love the book, but the actual – so when I moved to Oregon in 1989, I didn't remember that it was Beverly Cleary's um, setting for her books. And um, talk about her style and her characters and why uh, why Ramona gets the, the top billing in your book. Well, I really think Ramona is um, kind of Beverly's, one of her alter egos. There's two characters that I think are her alter egos, and this is based on um, her two really wonderful autobiographies. So Ramona is this exuberant but sensitive child. So she's she's kind of uh, obnoxious. People call her Ramona the Pest when she's yeah. young. Uh, she matures into a you know less of an obnoxious character, but she's she's artistic. You know she would be probably put in an arts magnet school these days. But she was just in the public schools, artistic and kind of always wanting to be um, a little bit above her pay grade in terms of you know doing things that she wasn't quite ready for. So she was causing problems for the bigger kids in the neighborhood. Uh, but her sensitivity was much like Beverly, who, who both of them had, um, uh, there's one chapter in one of Ramona, one of Ramona books where she talks about having her feelings hurt because a teacher called her a nuisance because she cracked an egg on her forehead right. accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> and Beverly had the same sort of feeling of, you know, just crushed when she overheard an adult call her a nuisance as, as a child. Uh, so she... She had both Beverly's exuberance, but then her extreme sensitivity. And I think that's what made Beverly Cleary such a great writer for kids, is that 
she kind of got us, you know, when we were kids, how you're, the world is a little confusing. It's a little bit, you know, you're, you're just trying to figure out all these rules and all these words and customs and everything swirling around you. And sometimes it's just confusing. And, and uh, Beverly was able to create these little vignettes. Each book is filled with short chapters that are kind of standalone vignettes of, of what life is like for kids. Yeah, and I'm, she does a great job. I mean, Ramona lives boldly. You know, her, puts all her thoughts and feelings on the surface. I mean, and perhaps when Beverly was coming of age in the, and correct my time frame, you know, well, forties, fifties, right? Well, well, I mean, the before 20s, that, actually, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, how how was, difficult what, what maybe that was for a young girl? Right. I think when she was really young, you know, she. She, she, her mother told her when she was really young, never be afraid. So mm-hmm. she had this lovely kind of um, exuberant childhood, and she, she talks about how at one point when she was little, she would go um, in the fall, sit on the apple tree and take one bite of every apple, throw it away because the best bite, so the first bite is always the best bite. And her mother was cool with that, you know. But then as they moved to Portland, their family life got pretty tense and unhappy because her dad was unhappy being um, a bank guard. And her mother was not allowed to work. She was a very intelligent woman who had started one of the first libraries in Oregon. In um, or she started the first library in the town of Yam Hill, Oregon. But you know, women weren't allowed to work once they got married back then. That was kind of frowned upon. So she was a little bored, and she kind of took out her frustrations on Beverly. And and Beverly writes quite frankly about it in her autobiography. I think anybody who, you know, has had a challenging childhood would. Um, find a lot in there to relate to. She's quite honest. Um, So that's what I love about her is that she's honest and her books are, um, they're not preachy. She literally wrote that um, she would set a book down as a child at the first line of preachiness or moralizing. Uh She just wanted to entertain kids because um, as her mother told her, she said, Beverly, if you're going to write books when you're an adult, um, write things to make people laugh. People love to laugh. And that's, that's pretty good advice. Yeah, I want to. I want to get the specifics of your book, but um, she struggled. Beverly struggled with reading while growing up, right? I mean, uh, how did words? Uh, how did she open her mind to words and, and writing and reading? Yeah, well, you know, as, as I said, her mom had had started the first library in Yamhill, and her mother had been a teacher, so she was very literate. And so Beverly did start reading early, um, you know, or, or had it being read to and wonderful books. Um, then when she started school in Portland, she said the books were, um, in a word, they were just super boring. They were things like she, she spot run, the cat likes to climb, you know, the mm-hmm. boy is bad, you know, just simple three-word sentences. And she's been used to these really rich fairy tales with tension and drama and fright and all sorts of wonderful emotions. And so she just kind of tuned out of school. And then she got smallpox, so she missed about six weeks of school because, you know, back then they quarantined people for it. And she wasn't allowed to go to school. So she she fell behind and got put in the worst reading group, which humiliated her. And so she just said, I'm not going to be a reader. And her mother kept kind of slyly bringing home books. And one day she brought home a couple of books from the library, and Beverly said it was raining. There was nothing else to do, so she said, she told her mother, I'm just going to look at the pictures. And then pretty soon she found herself reading, and that was it. She she was hooked on reading from that point on. And one thing I loved about it, one way she learned to read was, um, you know, this woman is super old. She learned to read before talking motion pictures. So she read, She one way she learned to read was the, the um 
the captions into silent movies as they would scroll by. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. So, she sold yeah. 91 million copies of her books. Yeah, 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 90 million copies. Yeah, and you know, I, I was a fan of different books as a kid, like the Oz books by L. Frank Baum, and I've gone back and read them as an adult, and they just aren't, they don't read as well as I remembered. But these Beverly Cleary books, you could read them today, and you'd still find them charming because uh, they're just kind of, like I said, very fairly written. There's not a lot of style that has gone out of style. They're just fresh feeling, even though some of them were written, you know, 68 years ago. Uh, how did you um, how did you take the approach? Now we'll get into the specifics of the book. Um, how did you take the approach of a walking tour? I, I, you know, I, I guess even in Aurora, you you did walking tours back when you were in Aurora. But how did you take that tack for this book? Well, I uh, it was kind of roundabout. I had written uh, three books uh, exploring Portland on foot, and Portland is a very topographically interesting city with volcanoes and two rivers right. and. It's quite hilly. So, and the neighborhoods are kind of tucked into these park-like areas. So it was, um, I had done these three books, and the library system in Portland, um, specifically the, the branch that Beverly um, was in her neighborhood, asked me if I would create a tour of all the different sites from her homes, because um, she lived in three different homes in Portland, um, or four, and also the, the places that were made famous from her books. So I crafted, so I read all her books, crafted this tour, and it was wildly popular. Like 200 people would show up on tour day. And if you've ever led a tour, that's not, not ideal. No. I had a little microphone, but it, it was hard, you know, that, that took up an entire block of people. The wow. sidewalk was filled with people from one end to the other. So um, they kept asking me to give the tour, and so did other groups, um, and a TV show did uh, because Beverly was turning 100 and. Uh, 2016, so they asked if I'd leave the tour for them, and I said, yeah, um, but, you know, I'm not so much a tour guide as a, as a writer of guidebooks, okay. so I thought I would just turn my tour into a guidebook, and it's done really well. People love it, and, and uh, so I'm not really leaving the tour anymore. People can can buy the book and then explore on their own with okay. all the information. All right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and I want to ask you about uh, how you um, research the book. So don't go away okay. with Laura O. Foster, Walking with Ramona, Exploring Beverly Cleary's Portland on WGN. Welcome back to Nocturnal Journal on WGN, and we're on the phone from Portland with Laura O. Foster, the author of Walking with Ramona, Exploring Beverly Cleary's Portland. It's uh, out by our friends at Microsoft Publishing, and uh, we'll give a website in a minute uh, out there in Portland. She did do a couple uh, Leave it to Beaver books, thus the theme song there. 1960, Leave it to Beaver. 1961, Here's Beaver. So, I, I, you know, I suppose it wasn't that much of a stretch to um, to go from Henry Oggins <laughs> to Theodore Cleaver. But the book is so <laughs> the book is so uh, comprehensive and well-researched. I mean, you've got a glossary in the back, eat and drink. So, I mean, you can go to the Columbia River Brewing Company and have a few beers before you go on the, on the Beverly Cleary tour. And then look at this. I mean, D. Oregon, you talk about, and you can pick up the story, Beverly's friend, uh, Claudine Klum, taught in this company town on the northern slopes of Mount Hood. I mean, uh, how did you research all this stuff, and, and how deep did you go in her life? Well, you know, um, 
I researched, I read the book several times each, and every time they mentioned the place in Portland or Oregon, you know, that was that goes went into the book. Read her autobiographies a few times, and then I have a pretty deep uh, knowledge about Portland after writing about it for 20 years now. And so uh, I like to just kind of weave in aspects of her life into the greater picture of what what life was like in a mid-sized American town in the 20s and 30s. And we don't often get a, a young girl's perspective because most young girls, you know, weren't as as um, such great observers as Beverly was. So she just gave me great material to work with, and I kind of wove it into my trademark walking tour where you just you learn a lot about a city just from the details of that are at your feet, you know, everything from the horse rings, you know, that are embedded into um, curves that uh, people used to tie their horses up to or, uh-huh. or wagons would, things like that, just minutia of life. Uh, and Beverly was great at observing it and, and recording it. And one thing I love about Beverly Cleary is that, you know, she would take things, books or stories that she wrote in high school and grade school, like, for example, Back in the days before rivers were um, protected from pollutants, there was a dye works in Portland for paper. There are paper mills around here, quite a bit of them. And one of, one day it was um, dyeing paper green, and some kid fell into the Willamette River, and his skin and hair kind of turned green. So she took that newspaper story and wrote a story about it in um, in her high school here in Portland when she, in the 1930s. And then in the 1950s, when she's writing books, she she sort of tweaked the story and repurposed it. And it was um, Henry Huggins who gets out of a play by having a can of, can of green paint dump on his head. So I just love the way that she she kind of wove aspects of real life into her fictional stories. Um, and then and uncovering that was just a delight for me. You were born in Aurora. I was, yeah. We were talking a couple of weeks ago when I when I found you. And uh, so my first job, I think I was telling you, was that the, my first journalism job was at the Aurora Beacon News right downtown there. And you knew Barefoot Charlie's. Uh, yeah, it was I like a, a railroad car too. diner or something. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. But we'd go there for it lunch. It was a railroad car diner, yeah. yeah it, was, yeah. it was pretty run down in the 70s when I worked next to it. I worked for a law firm. And uh, I would often have to walk to the Beacon News for errands and things like that. And, yeah, that was, was great. The was, news. But yeah. the reason I talk about Aurora and what you did there, I mean, did you, as you went through this Beverly Cleary process, did you draw on any of your Midwest roots? You know, growing up in the Aurora area, uh, was there any? Did you see any similarities? Well, I didn't see any similarities so much to Aurora and Portland. Um, I felt I felt a little kinship to Beverly. I was a pretty sensitive kid growing up, and you know, kind of took things hard. You know, I had my feelings would get hurt easily. And so I kind of related to her because she seemed like she was a bit of uh, like that too, you know. And she, um, it, she was an observer. And I think as a writer, you have to be a bit of an observer, kind of sometimes stand on the sidelines and watch what the action is rather than be in the thick of it. So I felt a real kinship to Beverly Clear that I didn't know I would find when I started researching her for my book. And I think that's why, you know, um, I had so much fun writing the book, and it's done well because I, I feel like there's a I just felt a connection with her, uh, even though, you know, we grew up two generations apart and also a couple thousand miles apart. Is she aware of the book, Beverly? You know, I don't know. Um, I didn't ever contact her. That was my bad. I should have. Um, and now that she's almost 103, I feel like oh, God, it's a little late for that. 
So I don't know if she knows about it. We'll, we'll get her. We'll get her a copy of this. We'll get her a copy of the podcast here, and she can <laughs> she can check it out. Um, a couple more questions. We got a break for the news. Uh, who takes these tours? Uh, young people, old people, all kinds of people. You know, it is so great. Uh, sometimes I would get homeschool groups call me, or pub- I, I led tours for um, third graders in Portland, and all Portland public schools study Portland, the bridges, the rivers, et cetera. And so third grade groups um, are a big um, uh, taker of the tours. And it's not, it's usually like a parent with a kid who's just starting to discover uh, Ramona the Pest and Henry Huggins. So a kid, it's so adorable. These kids are, you know, five or six years old and they're, they're excited, you know, to, oh. to actually see Cricket Street and Tillamook Street it's and all, the statues yeah. of these. Yeah. It's all coming to life. Um, yeah. Okay, in the time we have left, because uh, uh, you're a great interview, so thank you so much for joining us on a Saturday night. But you also do Portland Stairwalk, so tell the listeners how people can find out more about you and how they can get the book. Yeah, well, you can just look me up on um, Amazon, Laura O. Foster, and I have a, a eight or nine books out now that are about exploring uh, Portland and the other places in the Pacific Northwest. And, um yeah, that's and the, the best way I, I, I bet you got the Portlandia walking tour on tap. So. <laughs> you know, I didn't. I'm a contrarian. I said, I'm leaving that alone. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, thanks, Laura. Thanks for joining us. Fantastic. I'm an old Beverly Cleary fan, so thanks for doing this. Okay, Dave. Good okay. You. Thank you very much. And we're going to take a break with David Jennings in the news. We're going to come back with my old compatriot, John Hughes, and we're going to talk baseball and road trips. So don't go away on Nocturnal Journal.